Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We've come too far to Welcome back to Bleeding Blue, a show on the history of the New York football giants. My name is Justin. Snacks is going to be on the show we did with Big Blue VCR. It is St. Patrick's Week, and in honor of St. Patrick's Day, which is this Thursday, we talked with Big Blue VCR going over the top 10 most luckiest moments in Giants franchise history. Last week was part one. We talked about moments 10 through 6. This week is going to be part two, where we talk about moments 5 through 1. A lot of sh- uh, really cool nuggets. Uh, we talked about like the 1984 season. We talked about Lawrence Taylor being drafted. We talked about Lawrence Taylor, uh, how it was a possibility that he would have signed with the USFL, with the New Jersey Generals, and you know when Donald Trump owned that. So, so a lot of really cool stories that we talked about this episode's lucky moments. Big Blue VCR really knows this stuff. Go follow him, by the way, at Big Blue VCR. But also, if you're a Yankee fan, Bronx Bombers VCR. He's going to be posting more Yankee stuff as the baseball season heats up. So without further ado, here is part two with Big Blue VCR talking about the luckiest moments in Giants franchise history. Enjoy. Yeah. So, okay, so no, number five and, and snacks, you already touched on it. Is 2011 the playoff matchup? Yes. So if you go back in the 80s, the Giants had problems with the Eagles and the Rams. Like that was their that was the matchup nightmare that that Parcells had. In the 90s, it was Dallas. In the mid 2000s to the early 10s, it was the Saints. It was the Sean Payton Saints. The Giants had they could not beat these guys. Um, the Saints, when when Peyton was their head coach, he beat them three straight times. He blew them out at Giants Stadium 30 to seven in 2006 on Christmas Eve, and then in 2009, which is when the Giants were five and zero, they went into New Orleans and got smoked 48 to 27. And then earlier in 2011, they lost 49 24, and that was the final thing of their like of their four game losing streak midseason 2011. So they did not match up well with the Saints. So the Saints are going into San Francisco to play the divisional round. And if you go back and you watch that game, it was crazy back and forth in the fourth quarter where it was, you know, one team was jumping another, like Alex Smith had like a weird, like, you know, uh, a bootleg where he ran for like a 30 yard touchdown or whatever it was. But in that game, uh, the, the saints actually jumped up for, I wrote here, like a, they went up 32, 29, with a minute 37 to go because Breeze hit Jimmy Graham for a 66-yard touchdown. So now, as I'm watching the game, I'm like, oh, crap. You know, like the Giants the next day are facing the the Packers. But I'm like, okay, it looks like it's going to be the Saints. 
Alex Smith, however, leads a comeback. He hits Vernon Davis for a touchdown with nine seconds to go. Niners win 36 to 32. So the Saints are out. The Giants then, once they beat Green Bay, are going to San Francisco, who is a much, much, much better matchup. Yes. Because if you tell me in 2011, if the Giants are going into the Superdome for the NFC Championship game, they're going to they're gonna lose and probably lose big. Yeah, especially because the, the 2011 defense is not the 2007 defense, and that secondary against Drew Brees, sayonara. No shot. No shot. In the House of Horrors, no way. And I think it's what I think it was Dave Tollefson actually. Uh, I think it was Dave Tollefson where someone had mentioned something about that, like in one of the one of the tweet things that I had I had going on. And he, I think it, I think he was one who made some comment like, "Thank God we didn't go to New Orleans," because I think even the players knew that like it would it would have ended there. So if you don't have that last second Vernon Davis touchdown, the Giants have three Super Bowls instead of four right now. It's crazy trophies. So outside of Leonard Marshall this year, I think we should induct Vernon Vernon Davis to the Ring of Honor. Justin, what do you think? In hindsight, him, <laughs> in in him crying to Jim Harbaugh um, after scoring that game-winning touchdown. If you're crying after a divisional round win, you're a loser. I don't. Your words, not mine, Snacks. You're a fucking. You're a fucking loser. How about that? There, I said it. It was a big moment for him, but like, yeah. still. Yeah, yeah. And Gri- Grizzly Adams had a beard. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to move on to number four. So number four, 2007 NFC Championship game in Green Bay. Dominic Hickson recovering R.W. McCorder's fumble at midfield with about two minutes to go. Now, a few things here. Like, you have to understand how Dominic Hickson actually ended up on the Giants in itself. He was a fourth round pick out of Denver. Like, you know, like they, they really liked him young wide receiver coming up. He played a game in Buffalo where he hit a guy whose name is Kevin Everett. The hit was so bad. Everett was actually paralyzed on the field. He eventually regained the ability to kind of like, you know, move and stuff. His career ended, but it was such a jarring moment for Hickson that he was so sort of like, you know, he just couldn't get his head together around it because he was so upset by what happened. The next few games in Denver, he like fumbled a punt. He wasn't into it. Mentally, he was not there. Denver cuts him after that. The Giants pick him up on waivers and they basically kind of like start him back in slow. Where they're doing stuff where they're using him as like a returner, as, as like, you know, like an, like an extra wide receiver. So they're bringing him along slowly till he was able to clear his head. And then, like, you know, later on when they went to Buffalo in 2007, Everett came on the field to like walk on the field to do a whole thing. If you remember like that, that crazy snow game and, yeah, and yeah. Uh, Ahmad Bradshaw, Week he came, he walked, he walked out on the field that game. And before it Hickson went and like met him and like gave him a hug and all this other stuff. So it kind of cleared Hickson's head and Hickson all of a sudden becomes this key guy for the giants where in that freezing weather in Buffalo, I'm sorry, Buffalo in green Bay, McCorders gets the punt. He's running it back. He gets hit and fumbles. The ball is right there. But then Michael Johnson, first in the Giants, bats it away. Dave Tollefson kind of like jumps into a pile and jars it loose again. And then there's Hickson and I think three Packers around the ball. Hickson's the guy who falls on it. And if Hickson does not fall on the ball, Brett Favre has the ball at midfield with two minutes to go in the game. And then odds are at that point, he's going to get the yards he needs to go downfield, kick a field goal, whatever. We never get the Lawrence Tynes moment 
later in the game. Lawrence Tyron probably gets cut if he doesn't, you know, have that happen because that's, then a, he that's a great point. Goals. Yeah, he he missed those field goals in Green Bay. They're probably like, "You're out of here." Um, would he would so, he get cut or would he uh, or snacks? Uh, I think you want you might have met him at Newark Airport and just beat the shit out of him. He yeah he probably he probably wouldn't went he wouldn't have went home to his family. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I th- I think Tyne said so. He he's a really funny guy. Like on on, on Twitter, interacting yeah. with a lot of people. But like he is, he, he is. He, he he. You know, he does he, a lot of stuff. I post. He he interacts on. But he made some comment when somebody said like, you know, why'd you run out of the field? You know, at the end of the in overtime to kick it. And he's like, look, if I didn't, I'm I'm losing my job because right. they're gonna be like this guy. You know, like he goes, I'm I'm kicking for my career here at this point. So yeah, I'm doing it, but I'm also like, you know, I need to show that I could stay here yeah. and and keep keep kicking. So he was literally kicking for his NFL career when he ran out on that field. Yeah, and you know what? I after the first two misses that would have won the Giants the game, that's a lot of balls. That's f- what 47 yards I want to say in negative 30 degree weather when the ball is as hard as a rock. That takes a lot of balls to just say, okay, Tom Coughlin, who's you know, out of everybody, like you're- out of everybody, Tom Coughlin. Yeah. You're like, Nope, I'm going out there. And I, I always love that in America's game where Coughlin's like, yeah, they're in the headsets. No coach. No, no, no. And yeah, mine's just goes out there, but it, it's so funny. It, I love that you brought up the, the Hickson part of, it because I, sometimes you forget about these little things like that, that, that make or break and change a game. And, and the ball batting around after McCorders, it's right. And, I didn't realize Hickson's story. So to me, that is, that is so – it's even cooler than the fact that he jumped on that ball to lead to that incredible ending. So, wow, Dominic Hickson, respect. Yep, yep. So, okay, now number three. Now, this is going to be interesting. This is going to – I'm going to be weaving a tail here on Ooh, this one. Okay, okay. So this one is 1984. Oh, Just okay. in general, the whole season. And it really is two parts. It's the 84 offseason after 83, and then the end of 1984, where if I talked about tiebreakers before, this was the craziest tiebreaker scenario, arguably almost in NFL history, is what happened in the end of 1984. But first, going into the season, you have to remember, Parcells goes 3-12-1 his first year. Yep. Giants are terrible. There has been more than a few rumors like they had they had like, you know, like like there's a lot of like drug use issues in the team. That's why Parcells turned over a lot of these guys and moved them out. But at the end of the season, this is where the USFL of all things gets involved. So the USFL, who's now coming back to life, speaking of which, by the way, I used to go to New Jersey general games. So that was a lot of fun back in the day in the 80s. Like I saw Flutie and Herschel and and uh, Carthon and all those guys. Um, but anyway. Howard Schnellenberger is the head coach of the University of Miami. What a name. Great name. He wins the national championship at Miami, where he comes and brings the Hurricanes back into becoming this power. Schnellenberger used to be the head coach of the Baltimore Colts, where his offensive line coach in the 70s was George Young. So George Young, who knew Schnellenberger, and if you know the way the Giants operate, where they like to make sure they have, that's why this past year was so, you know, past offseason so weird with, with Dable and Shane that, like, they had no connection to these guys. Yeah. Generally speaking, forever, the Giants have always had a connection to someone. So George Young had a connection to Howard Schnellenberger. He wants Schnellenberger to be the head coach of the Giants. He has, he reportedly offered him the job. So Parcells was going to be gone. Like he had offered Schnellenberger the job. Schnellenberger was looking for a big payday. He then starts flirting with the USFL, where the time the USFL had a team called the Washington Federals that were going to move to Miami. 
and they agreed to bring Heyer Schnellenberger as the head coach. Now, while all this is going on, Bill Belichick, who's Parcells' defensive coordinator, goes to Parcells like, hey, what's going on here? And Parcells tells him, and this came up in the Two Bills documentary. He's like, look, it doesn't look good, very, very good here. Belichick actually accepts a defensive coaching position with the Vikings. So in the 84 offseason, he actually, there, there's an article in there. He accepts, I think they had a new coach, Les Steckel was his name. He accepts a, 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 an assistant coaching job with the Vikings. The Schnellenberger thing falls apart. Parcells, the, the Giants say, okay, Parcells, you're coming back. Parcells tells Belichick, okay, I'm stable here. Belichick then reneges on the Vikings and comes back to the Giants. So all so this is he, going on. He's not he's not a first time offender what he did with the Jets. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is the thing. And and look, and, and Parcells history, like he flirted with the Falcons, he flirted yeah. with the Buccaneers. Like this is just how these guys roll. So right there now that you have them back. In the meantime, if you want to talk about one of the craziest things, Lawrence Taylor, who's been fighting with the Maras for his contract money, he actually agrees to a contract with Donald Trump and the New Jersey Generals where he's going to be a member of the Generals in 1988 as soon as the Giants' season ends, as soon as his contract with the Giants ends. So he actually agreed to be a New Jersey General. He, he signs the contract. He's given a $1 million loan, and he's given these personal appearance fees things. That is enough to spook the Maras to be like, okay, the hell with this. They give him a new contract. Uh, LT rips up the contract with the Generals. He has to pay back the million dollars to Trump. It was a whole big crazy thing that happened in there with with the USL that like LT was made was going to ready to jump because that's the time when like you had all these big names thinking about going over to the USFL because they were just throwing money at people. Um, so LT comes back. So now you have the USFL kind of like all involved in the Giants world with Parcells, with Belichick and LT. And then by the start of 1984 season begins, all that stuff finally goes away. So now you finally have like this stability where Parcells decides he's going to coach the team his way. LT has his contract that he's happy with finally now. And now the team is able to focus. And that's when they go on and they, they, they win their first couple of games and get out of the gate, uh, you know, well to start off. So that's, that's, that's part one of 1984, which is crazy to me when you think back at all the stuff that could have happened that could have changed. If Howard Schnellenberger says, yes, I'll take the Giants job, all hell breaks loose. After that, there's no Parcells, there's no Belichick. That uh, we'd be, we would have been a laughing stock until 2007. That's yep, yep. <laughs> like that is I, I I never I never knew when someone you know you were talking with Justin uh, and setting everything up and he sent me what was going on and I read that part and I'm like what the fuck I can't wait to hear this one so I am I'm thrilled you brought that one up that is insane yep. and what's funny is for Howard Schnellenberger it actually worked out worse for him because he never actually coached in 1984 because that team that was supposed to go to Miami for the USFL didn't happen because they got blocked. Something fell through and he actually sued. Um, he sued the USFL and others because he didn't, he didn't coach for that whole year because he, he was expecting to get that job. The job never actually happened. So he agreed to a job that never came to came to pass. Mm-hmm. And then he ended up going to Louisville to become the head coach of Louisville, mm-hmm. like in 1985. So Schnellenberger came out on the end of this thing where one moment he was the nat- head coach of the, the you know, Miami Hurricanes, the national champions. The next moment he's got nothing. And then he ends up in like in, you know, college football purgatory a little bit with uh, Louisville. 
So like, yeah, he he came out on the the, the shit end of the stick with this whole thing. Yeah, to to say it lightly, because I I've never heard of the guy's name in my life. You know, if if you if you had a successful college career, you'd probably hear about him. But wow, well, good thing. Yeah. Thank you, Trollin uh, Schnut, whatever the fuck. <laughs> and and also, if if LT winds up going to the USFL, that's probably like the USFL doesn't fail. You know, or, or you know, it's 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 something that is definitely more well known because if if a guy like Lawrence yeah. Taylor, one of the biggest superstars in the National Football League, is going to that league, who knows what door that opens yeah. to other guys? And at that time, I mean, the NFL, there there's some twenty, you know, twenty 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 one Super Bowls in, but is the NFL at that time the the absolute pinnacle of sports like it is right now probably not money wise right yeah no no they were and and they were legitimately worried about the usfl in 83 by 84 the usfl started bleeding a little bit and that's why the nfl knew how it was gonna end. that's why they did the dispersal draft and we've talked about the reggie white thing the giants could have drafted him in the dispersal draft so they knew that it was gonna sort of fold but you have to remember um, one of the goals of the whole lawsuit, and I want to get us too far off over here, but just when you talk about the lawsuit and everyone laughs about the fact that, that the USFL won, but they only got $1 and it had to be triplicates. So it was like $3 and whatever was the actual settlement. The, the argument and the goal that some of the owners in the USFL had, where you had some of the larger owners, like, like Trump and a few others, Trump wanted to become an owner in the NFL. That was his goal. The NFL didn't let him in. So he then decided to find another way in where he watched what happened in the ABA where the ABA in basketball forced basically a merger with the NBA. And they brought in a few teams like the Nets and the Pacers and the Spurs and stuff like that. Some other ones like the, uh, I think it was the, the, the Kentucky colonels or whatever, like, you know, uh, you know, they, they, they uh, you know, they fell aside, they, they, they fell from the wayside, but their goal was to at least get three or four teams into the NFL from the USFL with the expansion. And what Trump's thought was at the time was I'm going to sign LT. LT is going to be with me where I'm playing in the New York, New Jersey area where I'm going to have this big name star going up against the giants. And I have like a big payday, you know, like, you know, like all, you know, like you're, you're going to have, you know, this whole thing set up, you know, where it's going to be everywhere. Now the USFL folded before 1986. So it never came to that, but, that was that was where his mind his mind was the generals were going to be brought into the NFL. He was going to be the owner and he's going to have Lawrence Taylor on his side going up against the Giants. That was that was the long play. It's crazy. Imagine that. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure the USFL didn't drug test. So Taylor was all about it. But <laughs> snacks, would you be a New Jersey Generals fan or would you be a New York Giants fan? Well, I would. Because New Jersey is the best state in the world. Yes, correct. It is. It's not even close. There's no close second. Um, but, I, I mean, guess- you are a Knicks fan over what used to be New Jersey Nets, and you are a Rangers fan over what is the New Jersey Devils. Yes, correct. And uh, but you, Which I don't get that, actually. Well, I was just – I was told who to root for, and then that's just what happened. That's true. You know, I, like I, I root for what my – from what my father and my that's old man That's it. I, I, never, I never had a choice. If I had a choice – you think I would be this fucking miserable right now? It's true. Okay. <laughs> anyway. So anyway, so, so let me give you now the second half of this. So now 84, you've had this whole mess with Schnellenberger and the USFL. Giants start winning. I'm going to now take you to week 16, which I mentioned before, it was the craziest 
tiebreaker pretty much ever that you're ever going to see. So I'm going to set the stage here. You have the Giants, the Cardinals, and the Cowboys are all nine and six. The Redskins are 10 and five. The Rams are 10 and five. So you have all these mix of teams and none of those teams at this point, at this point of the season for last week, none of them have clinched a playoff spot. So you still have basically the NFC East and two wild cards. This is the time, you know, back at the time then you had, um, you know, it was the three division winners and two wild cards made the playoffs. That was it. You had, you had five teams that made it in from each, each conference. So the way the schedule played out is you had, and Twitter would have melted down and exploded if this was a thing back then. You actually had a game on Friday, a game on Saturday, a game on Sunday, and a game on Monday. All those games, interestingly enough, except for the Giant game, impacted the Giants' future. So the way that worked was the Rams and the Niners played on Friday night. Now, the NFL tried to do a thing in the 80s. They wanted to have this like um, rivalry game at the end of the season where they would have the Rams and Niners play Friday night games like each year. They, they did that for several years. You had the Niners who were had won the division. You had the Rams again at 10 and 5. The Rams lose the game. They fall to 10 and 6. Once they fall to 10 and 6, that throws like everything into a tizzy. And especially with the Giants, the Giants had lost to the Rams earlier. They had all these tiebreakers where they couldn't, um, you know, if they tied the Rams, it didn't matter. Like they lose a tiebreaker. Rams clinch an, one of the wild cards. So now all that's left is the is the second wild card and the NFC East. So the Giants now play the Saints on Saturday. Now, that game, interestingly enough, means literally nothing for the Giants. If they win or lose, it didn't matter. Because if they lose, they go to 9-7. and seven. They're still in the tiebreak scenario later on. If they win at 10-6, and six, because the Redskins already had 10 wins and the Rams had 10 wins, they needed things to break their way. So it's, it's too convoluted to, to mention like how, but the bottom line is the game literally meant nothing to the Giants, win or lose. So you play a Saturday game, and the Giants played like it. They lose 10 to 3. Nobody cared because their fate was completely out of their hands. So what they needed to have happen was they needed the Cardinals to lose to the Redskins and they needed Dallas to lose on Monday night to the Dolphins. So first I can take you Sunday, which is the which is the Cardinals at the Redskins. Now the Cardinals are in a weird spot that the Cardinals either win the NFC East or they're out of the playoffs. Like they had, there was no wild card for them based upon the way the tiebreakers work. And that game, it's actually on YouTube. If you ever want to watch like one of the craziest games ever, you can find it and look up the 1984 Cardinals Redskins game. That game, the Redskins go up 23 to seven. It looks like it's a runaway. I remember watching it and like, oh yeah, this is good. This is good for the Giants. All hell breaks loose. Neil Lomax goes crazy. He throws for 468 yards. OJ Anderson catches gets 12 catches for 124 yards. The Cardinals jump up 27-26 in the fourth quarter. Redskins come back. They kick a field goal. They're up 29-27. Cardinals are out of timeouts. They're frantically getting downfield, and they get in a position for a 50-yard field goal on fourth down. The clock is running. They can't stop the clock. You literally have guys sprinting onto the field, including the kicker who gets on the field. Neil O'Donoghue was his name. So we're talking about luck of the Irish for the, for this thing. So Neil Donner, <laughs> there you comes, go. He, he comes out on the field, runs out there, and is forced to kick it. He misses the 50-yarder. Season's over for the Cardinals. Redskins win the NFC East. Cardinals are done. Giants are now still alive. 
So it was this whole crazy back and forth that ends where like literally like you see guys running on the field. Like imagine a kicker running onto the field, setting and kicking a field goal. Like that, that's how that went up. And, and then he misses it. Cardinals lose. So now you get Monday night. You have Dallas against the against the Dolphins. Dolphins win. They clinch home field advantage in the playoffs. Dallas wins. Dallas gets the wild card. So that's another game back and forth. Danny Waite, Dan Marino, offense all over the place. It's 21-21 late fourth quarter. With 51 seconds to go, Marino hits Mark Clayton on a third down. Clayton then takes it 64 yards for a touchdown. It's Clayton's 18th touchdown of the year, which was a record at the time. It was Marino's 48th touchdown, which is a record at the time. Miami wins 28-21. Dallas is out. Giants are in. And it took until literally the last seconds. And that's another game that if you want to look on YouTube, is available on YouTube. And you hear, uh, you know, I think it was uh, uh, Frank Gifford say something like, you know, that cheer you hear is like, you know, the fans in New York that, you know, pack your bags again. Like you guys are going to going to L.A. And then they headed out to the Rams and the wild card and, and Parcells wins his first playoff game. So Damn. the odds of all that stuff happening from Friday to Monday night, imagine giant fans having to live and die for a four day weekend to get to the playoffs. Oh, I, I, I feel like I would have played the lottery the next day. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, that, that, That's an, an insane. When we talk about luck of the Irish and, and lucky, that is unbelievably lucky. That doesn't happen. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think you see that nowadays, ever. No, that's no. that's why part of me feels like the Giants may have used up all their luck. Now this is not <laughs> thirty whatever thirty whatever years, so probably like we're due. But yeah, like they that was one of the craziest times for a Giant fan because your fate was completely out of your hands for that whole weekend, literally. Because once the Rams lost, right, the Giant came at nothing. You just were watching and hoping other teams lose, and both teams. We're basically in it to the very end for the Cardinals and Cowboys, and they both found a way to lose at the very end. That's so yeah, that 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 was insane. In the game that you played, and it didn't even matter at all. So, so, so and, and yeah, 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 that, yeah, yeah. And, the, and because of the tiebreakers, their game meant nothing. Yeah. So now, number two, I'm going to give you another story here of 1981, because for me, 1981 is really where the Giants start being like you know the the Giants. This is what kicks everything off for them to become like, you know, the building into the champions that they turned into the eighties. But to talk 1984 or I'm sorry, talk 1981, you really have to look at another team that helped the giants more than you would ever thought, which was the New York jets. Mm. The New York jets helped the giants become the giants, which if you want to piss all your jet friends off who want to go back in history, the jets are the guys that did it. So 1980 giants finished four and 12. You know, terrible, bad year, you know, down the tubes. The Saints went 1-15 that year. They were the worst team in the NFL. The only win the Saints had was against the Jets. The Jets, going into the final week of the season, are 3-12. and They had just lost to the Saints. They're playing at Miami in the final, final week of the season. The Jets lose that game. They go 3-13. and They're picking second in the draft. Miami just oh the week God. before loses a game. They're they're eight and seven. They're out of the playoffs because they, uh, you know, you know the, I think the Bills or somebody else got in ahead of them. So the game meant nothing to the Dolphins. Dolphins lay down. Jets beat the Dolphins in the Orange Bowl in the last game of the season. Jets go four and twelve. 
The Seattle Seahawks are four and twelve. The Giants are four and twelve. But by tiebreakers, just the way the whole thing worked out, the Giants pick second. The Jets pick third. Oh man. Seattle picks fourth. So if the Jets just laid down more in Miami, Jets pick number two in that in the 1981 draft. Those and we'll stupid get sons of bitches. Yep. Yep. They they <laughs> won. They won when they should not have won. So been there before. Yep, yep. So so that leads us to the 81 draft. <clears throat> now the 81 draft, you have to remember, and I and I know I think I gave you guys just a little brief taste of this. Yeah. Bum Phillips becomes the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. Bum is Wade Phillips' dad. Mm-hmm. And he you want to talk about like one of the most interesting guys in the NFL history. Like he was hilarious. So if you ever watch his like mic'd up segments when he's got wore a big cowboy hat on the sidelines. And that big coat that I think Wade wore at one point, he, he did as a tribute to his dad. When Phillips was in, in Houston, he actually turned them into like a little bit of a powerhouse. They made the AFC championship game two years in a row, both years lost at Pittsburgh. And then his last year, he made the wild card. They lost the wild card game. So now he's in Houston. They're like, okay, Bum's taking us as far as you can go. They get rid of Bum Phillips. Saints, who go 115, hire Bum Phillips. Bum Phillips turned the Oilers into a powerhouse because of one guy, Earl Campbell. Earl Campbell, the running back, who was a complete beast. If you remember, this is the 70s and 80s where running backs and running games were the premier thing. They they mattered. They mattered. So when (laughs) Bum Phillips wants to rebuild his team, he wants to rebuild it like he did in Houston. So with the number one pick in the draft, he's got Lawrence Taylor there, but he takes George Rogers. Because George Rogers is a running back because that's how he wants to build it. He wants to emulate what he did in, in, uh, in Houston. So he takes George Rogers for the first pick. That leaves Lawrence Taylor to the Giants in the second pick because the Jets won the last game of the year, which they shouldn't have won, or the Jets take Lawrence Taylor at number two if they don't, if they don't win that game against Miami. Oh so you have this confluence of events that gives hands Lawrence Taylor to the Giants. But and I, I wrote this thing down just to be fair to Bum Phillips uh, and before we crap all over him. Um, George Rogers actually was really good. Like he he was the offensive rookie of the year. He was an all pro. He actually led the NFL in 81 with, with over 1600 yards. He set a record for rookies rushing yardage. And, you know, so if you talk to fans in 81, they say who won that that, you know, you know, whether George Rogers, or Lawrence Taylor, both teams were like we're happy with who we got. Like they, they were thrilled with who they got. In the second round, the Saints took Ricky Jackson. Ricky Jackson became a Hall of Famer as a linebacker. Hmm. Not as good as Lawrence Taylor, but not exactly a scrub. They also took a couple of defensive linemen. They took uh, guys named Frank Warren and Jim Wilkes. They became 12-year starters on their defensive line for them. They took another guy, Hobie Brenner, who was a starting tight end for 12 years. They took a guy named a great Cajun name. His name was Hokey Guy John, who he led the NFL in rushing yardage per carry in 1984 and was like a local hero in Louisiana. So overall, Bum Phillips had a great draft, but he let Lawrence Taylor go to the Giants, and it worked out better for the Giants that way. Um, but yeah, he if the if if he didn't if it wasn't for Earl Campbell, wanted to recreate what he did in Houston. Well, Taylor's in Taylor's in New Orleans, or if not, if the Jets don't win in Miami, Lawrence Taylor's with the New York Jets. And honestly, if you think about it, Taylor in New Orleans on Bourbon Street, he may not even been Lawrence Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a fair point. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not, it's not a crazy thought, but I'm not saying New York, New Jersey, 
isn't crazy because it is, but Bourbon Street's a different animal. I've been there a couple of times. It's ridiculous. And I guess, uh, what, uh, what was the running back's name again, Matt? Earl Campbell or, or George Rogers? George Rogers. Okay, so George Rogers has to go down in the Sam Bowie conversation, right? Yeah, it's it's fair. Like I said, is, is Rogers had a, he had a really nice career actually? No, no, no. But and, ultimately, and, but ultimately, and I, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Like I understand. You're, you're yeah, right. but like Sam Bowie was the pick before Michael Jordan. Yep. And yep. and this guy, this, this guy's the pick before Lawrence fucking Taylor. Like it's not it's not just anybody. It's Lawrence Taylor, a franchise altering player. The one to me, the greatest football player ever. He changed the game. So, oh my goodness gracious, yeah. eh? that's luck of the Irish right there. That. Yeah, yeah. My friend Justin is luck of the Irish. And it's so crazy. Thank you, Earl Campbell. Thank you, Earl Campbell. You have a spot in the Ring of Honor next year. No, but it's just so crazy to hear it. And you know, you know, Matt, you have such a you know, you have such a way of, you know, telling telling the complete story too. You know, one event that leads to the next, one event yes. that leads to the next. And it's just so crazy how, you know. We we give credit to you know, obviously George Young for for making these decisions. We give credit to all these teams that go out they win Super Bowls. But it's crazy how one insignificant game in Miami, Florida, decides the fate of this franchise. That is the difference between getting Lawrence Taylor and not getting Lawrence Taylor. That crazy. that game was the thing that started that domino. You know the domino effect that led LT to come to New York. Yeah, it's it's great when you think back about it. And and Justin, you said it like one thing leads to another, leads to another. When yeah. you go back and look at sequence, like you know, like stuff happens for a reason, and you know, it's very rare something just comes out of thin air. Those are the things that, yeah, like I said, George Young, great job drafting these guys. Right, he got lucky. He it, yeah, it, it, he stepped. He got in, lucky. He stepped in shit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He got lucky. Stepped in shit. Huh. All right, what number are we at? Are we at number one? We're, we're, at, we're at number one. Yes. Oh shit! All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right. All right, drum roll. Number one, I think we all know what it is. It's Scott Norwood wide right. <laughs> How could it so, not be? <laughs> it, it has to be. When you're talking winning a Super Bowl, it has to be. And I'm going to interrupt you really quick. Yeah. Because some people probably say, how can it not be the helmet catch? Bobby Skinner put out a really, really good film breakdown. Um, and it's my favorite film breakdown that he's ever done. And this is when he did it back in like, 2019 when he was first getting started with giant stuff and he does not I, that good i wish that he could do more like old finding old giants plays and breaking that debt down but he had but he's been reluctant to do that maybe we'll do that one day when we're when we're older and way more successful and we're resting on our laurels um <laughs> but, but um he did a breakdown and he said that those guys made their own luck where it wasn't just luck that made that helmet catch but they made their own luck so that is my rebuttal my reply to to maybe people that are like how can it not be the helmet catch David Tyree Eli Manning with their individual effort on that play they made their own luck so keep keep going Matt yeah e- Eli made his own luck okay Eli made a play David what? Tyree was David Tyree was a special teams player had all pro Rodney Harrison's draped over him that was luck that that ball never hit the ground Sorry. disagree well you could disagree whatever you want there's no way he was stronger than Rodney Harrison go ahead Ben I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, what what I would say is, and I agree with you because if you go back, we saw later on, uh, Jared Lorenzen would do those drills where he'd be throwing Eli all over the place, yeah. Where they they were actually preparing for a thing similar to what happened, and yeah, like I said, that that was a that was a great catch. I would argue the luckier thing was Asante Samuel missing the interception oh the play before. Gosh, yeah. So maybe maybe if I was going to put a list and mend it and squeeze it in somewhere, 
that was a luckier play than the helmet catch. You you could also argue that another honorable mention is Wes Welker dropping that pass from Tom Brady in forty six. Yep, yep, the wrong yeah the wrong side of it. That, that that's yeah. another good one they could put on that. So you uh, argue it, that, but, yeah. honorable mentions, but let's because it, it's fun. a couple of weeks ago we we actually recently just rewatched the uh, Super Bowl twenty five, and uh, we didn't. You know, we got to the Norwood part, but we wanted to dissect the full game before that. Cause yeah, we got knows. we got to the Norwood part, and we were like, oh, he missed it. We won. He missed it. Yeah, he missed <laughs> it. So uh, we, we know he was, um, you know, the announcers were talking about that he was, like, you know, shaky from a distance and whatnot. One for five oh. on grass fields of field yeah. goals from 40-plus yards, yes. which, which for the broadcast to find that stat, that niche stat in that Crazy. moment is phenomenal. And the fact – and the fact – that on a side note, if you had Super Bowl boxes zero and nine or two and nine, <laughs> two and zero, you were a winner. Wow, that's crazy. Those are wild numbers. Anyway, Matt, finish us off with the uh, with the, the biggest luck of the Irish the New York Giants have ever gotten. Yep, yep. And and like you said, it was it's a crazy stat when you think about it, but you have to remember in the in the eighties and nineties, fifty yard field goals were like rare. Yeah, like the only kicker who you'd consider doing it was like was like Morton Anderson of the Saints. Like he was considered a freak because like like wow he could hit him like fifty two yards. Like when uh, when Raul Allegri hit a fifty two yarder in Washington in the first game in nineteen eighty nine, that was like like uh, you know almost like a hail mary. Like I can't believe he had a fifty two yarder. He yeah. barely got it in. Like that just wasn't normal. So anything over forty five yards was considered really far back then. Yeah, I think Matt um, Barr's longest of that year was either 47 or 49. Yeah. 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 It just, you just didn't see that stuff. That just wasn't how they put it. Like, it's now a kicker's, like, you know. They're, they, they're they, like they athletes did, now. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're athletes. They're like 55 yarders, like nothing. Like, yeah. you know, 55 yarders is the equivalent to like a 40 yarder, you know, like, back then. So Scott Norwood, like we say, we know he comes on the field. Thurman Thomas, again, is tackled by Mark Collins at the 30 yard line. Mm-hmm. When you see where that ball hooks, if Thurman Thomas gets another three yards, four yards from where Collins tackles him, that field goal is good. So Mark Collins, who had an amazing Super Bowl that game, he beat the hell out of Andre Reed that whole game. He tackles Thurman Thomas just far enough where Norwood is now asked to come on there. And like you said, you give us that like, you know, one for five on grass and he never kicked anything longer. You know, 47 was the longest he'd ever kicked it. Now we've talked before, people talk before about icing the kicker. And I, I don't think it works very much, but Parcells iced Scott Norwood in this situation. And it makes, you know, it's a Super Bowl. It's the biggest thing ever. And Scott Norwood, I posted a thing during Super Bowl week where I found Norwood's interview that he did after where Lynn Swan is interviewing him and Norwood, you know, complete stand up guy, like answered all the questions. Uh, Norwood said he was thinking about it and he tried to drive it harder because he knew that was the longest kick he's ever had mm. on grass he was aware of it so it's in his head parcells ices him makes him think about it more mm. you know the giants if you actually look even the kick like i think it's john washington is like kicking his leg and he's pounding the turf right before the giants are doing all this stuff to get in norwood's head before anything is going on norwood kicks it you know it goes wide because he pushed it too much because he tried to overkick it and he said afterwards, if I could do it again, maybe I'd draw it a little more. I'd take a deep breath. So all that moment, everything going on. And keep in mind, Norwood was a Pro Bowl kicker in 88 for the Bills. Yeah, this guy yeah. wasn't like some journeyman scrub that was right. coming on. He actually had a decent career in the USFL before coming to the NFL. But it got in his head. 
that he knew that this is the longest he kicked it. He's on grass. All those things came together and he pushed it and he pushed it because he tried, he overkicked it and you win the Super Bowl on a missed field goal. It's so Justin, that kind of culminates all of what we were saying when we did our episode about Super Bowl 25 and um, that he may not have had the leg for that. The fact that uh, Matt big move VCR is saying he overkicked it. It all makes sense. Yeah. Instead of pinpoint accuracy, because he ha- you see it, it's if that's straight, he nails it. Dead money. Yep. Nails it. But he overkicked it. That stupid son of a bitch in the Super Bowl, the, the last play of the game to win the Super Bowl with that core, which which Matt, we I, I, I was saying that it's an absolute sin. Ed Reed, Thurman Thomas, and Jim Kelly and and all these guys did not I – mean, Bruce Smith did not win a Super Bowl together. Mm-hmm. It's just wild. The fact that Scott Norwood, who, like you said, not some scrub kicker, very good kicker, overkicks the biggest kick of his life. Yep. yep. Wow. Yeah, he, wow. Yeah. And and just here's a little, little fun, weird fact that I, I had found out a few years later from that. There was a, a meteorologist who was studying the way nor'easters – nor'easter tracks work and he was a big giant fan and he's one of the people that watched the way like you know I, i'm not smart enough to know you know the meteorology and stuff about like the winds and those things but anytime that a nor'easter would hug the coast and then go off to the right at the last second from like you know the air thing come from canada or whatever it is mm-hmm. he coined it the norwood track Oh, and they called it in meteorology. Oh, the no. Norwood track is whenever <laughs> a storm, a nor'easter is coming up and turns to the right at the last second. It's actually in the meteorological terms that it's going to Norwood track. And they say it's taking the Norwood track. That's because it went wide to the right off the last second. <laughs> off the coast. Because there's some weatherman who discovered this thing. It was a giant fan. They called it that. So Scott Norwood lives in meteorological science somewhere. Because some giant that fan scientist, uh, you know, came up with that. That's that poor best. That is hysterical. And, and Bills fans. Well, <laughs> please. I mean, because you got you got 13 seconds and he got wide right. I mean, that's those are the those it's, are the it's, two things that it's not. Bills it's not fans. been a good. It's not even after like Leon Lett, they still couldn't even win that. So wow, those poor bastards. But I will say, it's going to suck when the Giants win before them after taking two of their two uh, two of their lieutenants. So. Well, I'll tell you, if you if you look now, even the way we just outlined how the Jets kickstarted the Giants championships over here, maybe it's the Bills. Maybe it's the Bills. Yeah. Are the ones who will kickstart the next, you know, the 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 you know, the the next round of how the Giants championship window goes. That would sure that. should be nice. And I will say, I hope in uh fifteen years from now that you get to come on here for our St. Patty's Day edition of Bleeding Blue and talk about some lucky moments over the over the next decade or so. Um, but I, I can't, Justin, I can't disagree with anything on that list. And I especially loved learning more about 1981 and, um, and all those little tidbits that we, you know, haven't really covered yet. So Matt, thank you so much. That was amazing. Snacks. Is it, is it sunny in Philadelphia where Charlie day is like with all the wires and he's pointing, you know, that yes, meme that's always sunny in Philadelphia. Always sunny. And I, I literally feel like that's exactly what we've done. Yeah. 
to putting just like putting in all the all the little nuance. This things. happens and then that happens, but then it caused yep. this to happen, then it caused that to happen. It's like it all makes sense when you all put it together. That's what I basically I felt like we just did through um what we're gonna do is we're gonna make these two episodes, just like just like we did last year. We're gonna we're mm-hmm. gonna spread these we're gonna spread these uh these two parts out, so to speak, within two weeks. That's exactly what we've done the last two weeks, and I really know that everybody has has enjoyed seeing it. So Matt, Big Blue VCR, I also want you to plug, we're going to do this towards the beginning part of the show as well, but I want you to plug your new Twitter page that's dedicated to the New York Yankees. Yeah, thanks, Justin. Uh, so something that I've been playing around with for just a little bit, I you know, I have upwards of nearly at this point 800 giant games as you guys know that i dig through and i'm able to pull uh, all these videos i have a bunch of you know i'm a yankee fan too i have a bunch of yankee tapes from like the you know the 80s and 90s and 2000s and i decided to sort of do something a little similar to the big blue vcr which i called bronx bombers vcr where i post some you know various yankee highlights you know things things a little bit more, you know, like I'll, I'll go into some things from like, you know, the, the 96 world series, you know, I showed a highlight of like Girardi's triple, you know, but then I went and I found like a Ron Kittle inside the park home run in 1987 that like, nice. you know, so some, you know, only weirdos would really kind of like enjoy stuff like that. Like I found like a Mike Perry Rulo two home run game in Seattle. Like, you know, there's a lot of just like fun stuff that's in there, especially going back and listening to the old videos of uh, Phil Rizzuto and, and Bill White, the scooter, which is, you know, hilarious. So they would talk. So, you know, I've decided, like, you know, to try to keep things a little bit separate with the with the Yankees uh, as well. So I'm I'm going through and I'm posting some old Yankee highlights on this uh, this other Twitter Twitter account. And you know what? I I think it's a perfect time because if you're a Giant fan, you're a Yankee fan. I I know that's how a lot of things go, and uh, I think it's a perfect follow. So I, I'm all into it, and it keeps my mind on baseball. So we thank you for that, and uh, very much appreciated with the with the Yankee videos. Can we can we get some from '98 soon? Oh yeah, yeah. I got, I got, I got a lot of good stuff from '98. I can show. I think I showed Shane Spencer's like home run barrage. Like I Spencer, showed some yes, the other day. Yes, so. you did. Yep, yep. So, yeah, yeah. I, I can. I, I, I absolutely can show some. '98 was my favorite Yankee team. That was a. That team was a machine. Yeah, yeah. Best, best team probably in baseball history. So yeah, Shane Spencer yeah. from six days ago. Uh, ten yeah, home yep. runs, three grand slams on top of an already stacked lineup who went 114 and 48. Crazy, <laughs> crazy. Well, that's great. So, what a team. Big Blue VCR now also Bronx Bombers VCR. We're building He's Big up Blue VCR. We're building up the VCR brand, which I which I love. Um, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. Um, excited to have you on again. Whenever <laughs> um, we're gonna think of a theme every off season that we can have you on for, and just let you rip and let you rock and roll. So, thank you so much for coming on, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, Justin Snacks, thanks a lot. This is a lot of fun. I'm happy, always happy to talk Giants. Yep. Thank, thank you, Matt. You're genuinely appreciated. And uh, thanks for all the, the wrath of knowledge. I know everybody that's listening and watching is going to love it. And I, I know we did. So thank you very much, buddy. All right. Thanks for watching Bleeding Blue this week. We will not see you next week. There will be no Bleeding Blue episode next week, but we are going to be premiering something very, very cool, very, very special. We've been working on it for like a couple months now, uh, really. We've been planning it out for a couple months, and we've been editing it for a couple weeks too. So next Monday, no Bleeding Blue, but there's going to be something that's probably even more exciting that I am really, really excited and really, really pumped to roll out next Monday during Bleeding Blue's time slot. So keep an eye out for that. We're going to announce it later this week. So we will see you then. Bleeding Blue will be back in two weeks. 
Until then, keep on bleeding blue. Peace. Thanks for watching.